So let's uh, open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4.15. And um, yeah, so I'm going to read this verse. And then I'm going to explain to you my awkward shock when I read it because it just doesn't really scream, this is an awesome worship passage. Um, it says, for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And I was like, okay, if I was going to pick a worship passage, I might have picked like Revelation 5, saints and angels, living creatures, huge worship thing. But this can... We can do something with this. Okay, so I'm, I'm praying, and I'm like, Lord, what's going on? And so um, for those of you who don't know, I'm in seminary right now. Um, I'm actually at a Reformed PCA seminary. So being a female, non-denominational worship leader in a Reformed PCA seminary is so awesome. No, actually, it's so, it really is so good. It, like, there's so much, um, iron sharpening iron, and the Lord is moving in awesome ways. But one of the things we talk about a lot is context. And so, to read this verse, it'd be great. We could sit there and we could go, oh, yeah, grace, grace. I got saved by grace, extending to more and more people. Yep, okay, so we've all been saved by grace. May increase things. I mean, we need to be thankful, and then God will be glorified. Cool. Message done. Let's go home. You know, like we could do that or, or we could say, okay, Lord, what is really going on here? Why is this important? Why is this verse included? It seems kind of generic and random. What's going on? What's the context? Who's saying this and what are they saying? So we're going to do that tonight. That's my goal. My goal is to share with you that Paul is actually saying something really intense about worship and the place of worship in our lives. So that's my, that's my goal. Um, the context of this little verse in 2 Corinthians 4 um, is actually Paul's ministry. Um, raise your hand if you know, if you've heard of the Apostle Paul. Okay, we're good. Um, so the Apostle Paul used to kill Christians, right? His name was Saul. He was a Pharisee. He loved the law of God, but didn't know the heart of God. He didn't realize that Jesus was Messiah. So then one day when he's trying to go kill more Christians, Jesus is like, I've chosen you. Knocks him off his donkey, gets saved. Jesus shows up. Paul is blind, gets his name changed. Some guy comes and lays hands. He can see again. Cool. Missionary. Go. So, there was more to it than that, but that's basically what happened. Okay, so Saul's conversion was very dramatic, all right? It wasn't a thing he could miss. And you have to understand who he was. He wasn't a nice guy. He had been going around murdering people. He was a religious zealot. Have we, have we, been, have we been paying attention to the news? Has anybody seen by ISIS? I'm praying for ISIS conversions. For Saul to Paul conversions. That's the kind of conversion we're talking about. We're talking about a man who held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen. And then God didn't just say, God didn't just say, okay, I guess I have to save him. No, he said that he was his chosen instrument. So this man understood grace in a way that was radical to his life. In a way that transformed his life completely. And in a, in a way that um, marked his ministry. Yeah? We see him talk about grace all the time, okay? So, so we're going to talk about grace some tonight. But we're also going to talk about when we need grace as Christians. Um, 
So to give you a little bit of background to Second Corinthians, Paul and Timothy are writing this to the church in Corinth. Okay, Corinth is a big city in the ancient world. It was a center of trade. It was very cosmopolitan. It was very multicultural. There were a lot of different religious cults. Okay, it was also very sexually liberal. All right, so we have. Um, it sounds kind of like America. So we can relate a little bit. So that's good. There's a little common ground. Um, Paul went to Corinth for the first time. And Acts 18 tells us about it. And he gets kicked out of Corinth. Um, and it says that he was opposed and reviled. Some people did accept Jesus there. And they realized Jesus was the one who came to save them. Um, but he also got opposed and reviled and basically kicked out of the city. So their accusation was that he had been teaching that Christ... That the Christ was Jesus, that the Messiah was Jesus, that that the King was Jesus, that the Lord of all was Jesus, the Savior was Jesus. Paul was teaching Jesus, and he got opposed and reviled. And um, their accusation was, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. And so their initial accusation in Acts 18 is about worship. I think that's really interesting for what we're going to talk about. So Paul's writing the second letter to the Corinthians to defend his ministry and the gospel from false apostles after Paul himself has had an intense season of hardships, okay? And real quick before we continue on, I want us to understand that we're talking about a real person. It's so easy to read the Bible, and because it's, like, written a long time ago, it's this, like, collection of sayings that are supposed to make me feel good while I'm drinking my coffee in the morning. And it's just not that. It's it's real Letters that were written by real men inspired by the Holy Spirit for our benefit today that we might know Jesus Christ and serve him and love him. Okay, so so we need to understand that this is a real person with a real ministry writing to real people who are really in a church in a city that was very multicultural and there was opposition. There was reviling. There was tension going on. And there were false apostles that had come in and basically said, no, guys, this is not, no, no. This gospel thing that Paul brought to you, that's that's not it. There, That's false teaching. That's not it. So um, Paul's writing to defend the gospel and to defend his ministry, to defend the truth that Jesus is the one worthy of worship. He's also writing after a season of having gone through... Um, like a series of life-threatening incidents, incidents related to the gospel. All right. Um, and we're going to look at some of those places. Um, go ahead and turn in. We're going to stay mostly in second Corinthians. Turn over to chapter one for me. If you look at verse eight, Paul writes, he says, we don't want you to be unaware brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Instead, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. All right. Um, look at Second Corinthians four, where we just were. We're going to read verses eight through twelve, which is the preceding passage. Okay, it precedes our verse we're looking at tonight. It says. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed; perplexed, but not driven to despair; persecuted, but not forsaken. Um, Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Look at chapter 6, start in verse 3. 
We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Okay, so remember I said he's defending his ministry. He's defending the gospel and he's saying, hey, I came to you with truth. Okay, he's saying, we, we, we've been doing the right thing. Verse four, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Okay, go ahead and flip over to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Okay, I'm trying to get, give us a feel of this whole letter. This is one letter that he wrote to a group of people. So if we were that group of people sitting there hearing this letter, these are some of the themes that we would hear. We would hear this theme of Paul's suffering. Okay, so chapter 11, verse 23. Um, are they servants of Christ? Again, talking about these false teachers and stuff. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and, and exposure. And apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure on me from my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Now look at 2 Corinthians 12. Okay, so as if this struggle that he's having in trying to minister and serve God isn't enough, he has this internal situation that takes place. Look at verse seven. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations from chapter 12, verse seven, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Y'all Paul had a messenger from Satan to harass him. This is not an easy situation. I had a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. We're going to read the rest later. But are you getting the picture of the life of the apostle right now? Are you getting it? Because it was not middle class America chilling with my... What is it called? Arnold Palmer and watching the ball game. It wasn't that thing. That was not the life of the apostle. And yet this is the man who is calling us to recognize a grace that abounds so that thanksgiving can abound unto the glory of God. I'm going to listen to that man because I think he's legit. I think he's legitimate in what he's saying. So Paul is talking about real hardships that came suffering, affliction, pressure, actual physical danger. You remember that passage where it was like danger from this, danger from that, danger from this. So the Bible doesn't waste words. And so there's one, when there's repetition, it's like super important. It's like wah, 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 important. So danger. We don't experience a lot of danger. Just being honest, we don't. We really don't. Being worried that my iPod might get stolen isn't danger for the sake of the gospel. It's just not. 
Okay. So, so here's the deal. So here's the deal. You guys know me. I like real. I like raw. I like, if it's too clean, I don't want it. Like, because it doesn't seem real to me, you know? So, so I need to put my gum out. You don't want me smacking in the mic. That's just gross. Sorry. Okay. So, but my point is this. We're not talking about hardships like having to cut back on the monthly cable package. Okay. We're not talking. I'm being serious though, because we walk around and we're like, I'm suffering for Jesus. We went down to the $49.99 a month. That's not what we're talking about. It's not it. You know, it's just not it. And I want us, I want us to like eat that piece of the bread because we have to, if we want to abound in thanksgiving, if we want to abound in grace. Okay. So here's the life of the apostle, right? It's a life of hardship that includes physical assaults, exhaustion, poverty externally, and internal anxiety trial, and sometimes misery because he loves God's people so much. When was the last time that you were like almost like miserable and full of anguish for someone in the body of Christ that you love so much? When was the last time that happened? When was the last time that you were thrown about with sorrow for loved ones that are lost or for injustices going on in the world? I think my dad talked about Jesus' soul being vexed when he was on this earth by sin like, not a pleasant experience. When was the last time that was your soul? A soul that was vexed by sin. So we're talking about real things here that really happened to a real man named Paul who was really enlisted in serving God. And we are also called to be enlisted in serving God in the same way. And it is in this context, this struggle and this pain and this reality that Paul says, it is all for your sake, your sake, my brothers. Imagine yourselves, you're in Corinth, okay? Um, imagine something that looks like Greek, like for the building. And there's pillars maybe and cool pottery, I don't know, something Greek, whatever, heroes if you need to think of that. Um, and you're in this church a long time ago. And there's lots of opposition in the city and people don't really like you. And you got kicked out of synagogue and so you're in your own little place now and you're not really sure what's going on. You've had friends and business people leave you because you've been going around saying that Jesus is the Christ. And Paul writes and he says, guys, all this suffering that I've gone through is for your sake so that as grace extends more and more, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's so cool. And it's so convicting and it's so, so much, you know? So how in the world was this Paul's response in those moments? How in the world was that Paul's response? Because let me tell you, when I'm having a hard time, that's generally not my response. My response is normally, I need some Dove chocolate in a Starbucks and I don't want to talk to anybody. Okay, that's normally my response. You're laughing. My family doesn't laugh when it happens. Um, they don't. But my point is, my point is this. This was their response that they, they wanted grace to extend more and more. So more thanksgiving and more glory could be brought unto God. That's worship. That's what worship is. Okay. So we can understand grace as the gospel going forth. 
and people getting saved in that moment of like justificational grace, right? We're saved by grace. But grace in scripture is also an empowering grace. Okay? So grace, um, actually my dad was talking about, uh, eating the bread, right? So we actually call the sacraments, communion and baptism and all these deals, we call these things means of grace. Means of grace. Means of strengthening, empowering, remembrance of what is really going on in our souls and in the heavenlies by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? So when we talk about grace, we have to understand that grace shows up in a context of suffering and trial and difficulty and affliction for the gospel. I think we really like to claim these promises when we're talking about any, basically any discomfort that we just don't like. You know, we're like, deliver me. I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know about that so much. Because unless I'm laying myself out for Jesus in that moment, like, what's in it for his glory? So I think we need to be really careful. I'm not saying don't come to the table. Come to the table, okay? He'll, he'll set you right at the table if you're asking for the wrong stuff. He'll take care of it. But, but my point is, like, if you're at that table and you're seeing the abundance that is there, there's no way that you can't become one of those who is beckoning people in. There's no way that you can experience that abundance and then not run out and say, come, come to the feast. There's a feast. There's no way that you can experience the goodness of the Lord and not start detesting the sin of the world. There's no way you can experience the justice and the mercy and the grace of the Lord and not desire the transformation of society for unto his glory. There's no way that you can be adopted as a son without then wanting your parenting to, to completely change because you want your child to know the love of a heavenly father. You can't experience being part of the bride of love himself without wanting your marriage to transform into that Ephesians 5 thing that Paul's talking about. Okay? So so we don't get to be at the table and then not engage in the service that we're called to be engaged in. So the question is, how did Paul and Timothy and these apostles, how did they want to praise God, worship God, and see his grace extend and thanksgiving abound in the context of this suffering and hardship of ministry? Well, the way that they did it was they understood their mission, their identity, and where this whole thing was going. Look at verse 5 in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. He says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the mission. Paul and Timothy got it. That's the mission. Jesus Christ is Lord, and everybody's got to know about it. And everything in the universe needs to be conformed to it. That was their mission. And they understood their identity with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. I think we like to think of ourselves as little royalties. I'm a little princess in God's kingdom. Yay, yay. But am I a servant? Am I a slave? We have to understand our mission and our identity. And also in that context, when we're in that context and we're being the servant and the slave that washes the feet, then gets abandoned, betrayed, reviled or opposed, ignored, rejected, disappointed, hurt, thrown out. And you can't expect those things because your savior walked it. When we experience that, we can't say, sorry, I'm out. 
Because he didn't do that to us. He doesn't do that to us now. In that moment, we have to remember where this whole thing is going. Look at, um, look at verse, nope, we're skipping that one. Go to verse 16 of chapter 4. That's the verse that comes right after our verse that we're looking at tonight, right? So he says, all of our ministry is for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, okay? So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, oh my gosh, the dude got beaten. This light momentary affliction is nothing in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is being worked. Okay? A glory beyond all comparison. Verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient and temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We're going to keep going. Chapter 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house made with hands, eternal, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. But if indeed we put it on We may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So uh, one of my professors was talking about this word guarantee. And what's funny is that this professor, I have a very hard time like listening to him because he makes a lot of jokes that aren't funny. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. Mike does not teach at Covenant Seminary. It's not Mike. Um, <laughs> I, it's not him, really. It isn't. I know it's hard to believe. Okay, but so, so this one. And this professor also looks like Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. I don't know if anyone watched that, but he looks like Mr. Feeney and he makes these jokes that aren't funny. And so I just have, it's hard. It's just hard to listen. It's just hard to, and then, you know, funny joke. And then, and so the Holy Spirit works like this, guys. It's just very difficult. Um, but my point, which is important, oh, is that he's talking about the guarantee. He's talking about the guarantee, the word guarantee. And the word guarantee doesn't mean like, Susanna, I guarantee that I will be done by 930. Like, it's not just my word being given that you kind of hope happens. It's actually a physical down payment in part for the full payment that was coming later. Like, it was, like, used in financial transactions, things I really know nothing about. But um, it was used in actual financial transactions that someone would say, here, I'm going to give you, like, $5, and I'll give you, like, $100 later. Okay, and so that five dollars was this down payment. And if the Holy Spirit is the down payment of the guarantee, I'm literally going to explode when 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 the full deal shows up. And so they're able, Timothy, Paul, all the other ones that all got their heads chopped up and sawn in two and all that stuff. They're able. <laughs> To say, let's worship God. Let's grace extend more and more. More thanksgiving. He's so good. We love him. They're able to say that because they know that they have this down payment right now. And if they hold on, that fullness is coming. 
And it's going to be a glorious explosion that they're really going to experience. And they can hold on to that. And they really believed that. So they understood where this whole thing is going. They understood the resurrection. Um, quick note here. If the return of Jesus one day um, is not real to us, if we don't actually believe that, it's very hard to serve him. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard to... Um, some of you know I've worked with girls who've been sex trafficked. And 73% of girls who are rescued out of sex trafficking go back. 73% is way too many percents. And unless I really believe that Jesus is going to come back and right all wrongs one day, it's really hard to want to keep putting yourself in that place to watch more destruction and more hurt. That might be the case for you, though, in so many other things. It could be in trying to have a godly marriage. It could be in trying to continue to reach out to those coworkers. It could be in trying to make ethical choices of how you use your money or your time or even how you use your influence in your workplace. These are real, real areas of life that the gospel really impacts that if you choose to give them over to the Lord, hardship is ensured, like it's guaranteed. But so is the spirit and so is the power of the spirit and so is the truth that this whole thing is going to a culmination that is so much more glorious than even right now. And we have to cling to that, okay, in this process. I wrote, yay, right after that. (laughs) Yay. Um, We also cannot make sense of suffering nor rejoice in our sufferings um, unless we see them in the context of service. Like if we we don't understand what we're suffering for, right? Right? And let me just say that I I don't believe all suffering is, um, I mean, again, we have to really qualify that word. We have to qualify suffering for the gospel. There's this one dude that I knew, um, and he'd always be like, man, man, I'm getting so persecuted at work. I'm just, it's all for the gospel. And I was like, dude, you're actually just annoying and rude. You're not getting persecuted. You're just a mean person, and nobody likes you. Like... Like, I'm just being honest. And and so my point is, let's be careful with these labels we slap onto ourselves. If you want to use persecution, I hope you can list off 40 lash, lashes less one. Okay? I'm just saying. Let's be real about this situation here. So, Calvin said this. See, here comes my reformed PCA stuff. Look at this. To begin with, the sufferings of Christ, however ignominious... I think I said it wrong. In the eyes of men, these sufferings of Christ have more honor with God than all the triumphs of gnarls and all the pomp of kings. We must also look to the final outcome that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. If you are suffering for the gospel, and, and I mean there's actual suffering for the gospel and there's other suffering that, that it's not all in the same category, okay guys? But if you are suffering for the gospel, Congratulations! You're doing it right! Like 10 points! Like yay! Like you're in the fellowship of the Savior! You're in the fellowship of the suffering servant! Isaiah 53, man! That's the bruised and marred beyond recognition! I've never been that beat up! Actually, I've never been beat up for the gospel! I mean, I had a guy attack my car one time, but I, I didn't, wasn't physically harmed! But Isaiah 53, that's the one we're fellowshipping with, the suffering servant. 
Yay. But still, how in the world do we do this? This is crazy talk, right? We walk this out by faith. Look at verse 7 in chapter 5 where we just were. It says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And we say the word faith so much that it's like, I don't know, like, you know, our Bible quiz team that was named after it. Like, I just didn't even think about what by faith meant, like, because, because it was so used all the time. Faith, 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 faith. If your name is faith, that's probably hard to think about what faith means. Probably hard. You hear it all the time. Okay, but believing in these truths, believing that you have been called by God to step into his mission, that your identity is a servant and a son, okay, and that you have the Holy Spirit as a down payment, just a down payment, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There might've been another one, but those are all really good things. And if I get those now and it's just a down payment, it's going to be so good then. Okay. Believing that in a faith, like having the faith that believes in that and believes that Jesus is really returning to right all wrongs and to set himself up as ruler of the universe, believing that releases an experience of grace in your life. Okay. I said before that grace can be this thing. We're saved by grace, right? Undeserved favor, undeserved, undeserved. Come on in. Okay. We don't deserve it. Yay. Great. Um, but then there's the empowering grace and we get the empowering grace by faith. Okay. It's like a simultaneous machine that all the cogs work together. We can, um, yeah, let's look at second Corinthians nine. Verse eight. Ooh, this one's, this one's hard. Okay. Paul's talking about money and don't leave, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. Stay, stay, stay. Okay. So that was supposed to be funny. You guys didn't get it. Now I'm like my professor. (laughs) Great. All right. My point is, my point is that, um, chapter nine, verse eight, let's check it out. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in all good works. Remember when I said there was that thing about repetition in the Bible? Did you guys catch a repetition? All right. All, all things. (laughs) Okay. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency. What is he talking about here? He's talking about justice. You can just throw something at me if I'm stealing any of your message tomorrow, but he's talking about the Lord giving them grace to give sacrificially. Ow. He's saying in the context of you actually giving a generous donation to your brothers and sisters who are in need and maybe sacrificing something in that process and doing that by faith and believing that God can help you do that, you will experience a release of grace in your life. Whoa. Um, look at, go back to chapter one in second Corinthians. Oh dear. Okay. Okay, chapter nine, or verse one, verse, chapter one, verse nine. I'm sorry, I'm so excited about the stuff that God is speaking about this because it was like destroying me when I was studying this week. Um, Okay, it says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He says, I had a sentence of death on me. You're going to die. 
Grace says, God raises the dead. I can walk towards the sentence of death because God raises the dead. The next verse is good too. Um, He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope. This is the faith I was talking about. That he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer. Okay. So, but, but real quick, before we just like say, wow, that's a great verse. Paul was actually talking about a real thing that really happened. Like there was a riot at Ephesus in uh, Acts 20 something. And, and, and he's like driven out of the city and they have this huge traumatic event and he, he gets stoned in another place. Like he's, he's talking about a sentence of death that were actually sentences of death. Not just like, I feel like death today. I say that on Mondays. But not not like that. He's real death. One time he got stoned and, and they thought he was dead. In the ground, they thought he was dead. So they left. They're like, we killed, we killed Paul. They go back into the city. Paul, the apostles gather around him. And I think they prayed. The text doesn't say that, but I think they prayed. And he gets up and he walks back into the city towards the people who gave him the sentence of death. Have you been given the sentence of death in an area of ministry? Do you have unbelieving friends, coworkers, and family members who have given you the sentence of death for loving them so well with the gospel? Get up, walk towards the sentence of death because your God raises the dead. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. Verse 9. This is after the whole messenger of Satan situation. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content. Okay, we use the word content to mean, like, just enough. But in the Greek, it actually, it's got, like, more of a, like, it's a, it's a little yay, kind of, like, I'm good. Like, it's cool, it's fine. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's grace. That's grace. Stay close right here. uh, Chapter 13, verse 4. Actually, let's start in verse 3. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, right? So Paul's wrapping up his letter talking about how he's been defending his ministry and defending the gospel and defending what the Lord has been doing through him, okay? He is not weak. God, Christ, Christ is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Okay? If your Savior was crucified and crushed in weakness, he was crushed by his own creation, but he lived again, and then his spirit lives inside of you and is at work among you, And if that one who defeated death is sitting on a throne governing the universe right now, we need to walk in some faith and some confidence in this situation. Yeah? Like, like confession time, what I'm getting convicted out while my dad's talking is how like I'll be standing in the line at bread co or something because i do like bread i don't sing about it but i like it and i'll be standing in the line of bread co or something and the lord's like you need to share the gospel with the girl with the the red hair and i'm like you know 
I think it's inconvenient and there's a lot of people, probably not the best time. Maybe if we like bump into each other at the door, like on my way to the car, maybe then, maybe then we can do it, Lord. Yeah. That's not it. Like I wasn't even asked to walk towards the sentence of death. Like I was asked to walk towards a lost one. So that's what I'm getting convicted about while dad's talking is not having faith that that governing, reigning, resurrected, alive son of God who was crushed by death, but came back to life that I'm called to be like. When he asks me to do something, I'm getting convicted that I'm not doing it, which equals I'm not believing him. Okay, faith, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, if you don't know who he is, go do some research. You'll get blessed and maybe wrecked at the same time. But anyways, um, if you don't know who he is, martyr for the faith. Okay, we'll just wrap it up there. He said, faith is obedience and obedience is faith. You don't have one without the other. Sound familiar? It's James. I don't think I got saved till I was 18 because I don't think I started doing the things God was wanting me to do and living in any form of real obedience until then. And so I don't think it was real faith before then. Is that freaky Christian parents out? Sorry. Okay. Getting off track. My point is we have to have faith. We have to have faith that he's going to pour out his grace when we're in that position of weakness for the sake of the gospel. Um, go back to chapter four. I promise we're wrapping up. I also promise I'm going to make this make sense about worship. Um, chapter four, verse 13. Okay. This is right before this is that whole part where he's like, we're carrying around in our body, the death of Jesus. Okay. This whole suffering difficulties, but we're going to press on how in the world are they doing this? 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith. According to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And then comes our verse. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That thing he quotes there where it says, I believed and so I spoke. Do you guys have like a little letter or a little note or a little something next to that in your Bibles? Do you guys have anything next to your Bibles? Like in there? Does it say, like the quotations, verse 13, it says, I believed and so I spoke. We read that and we're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, cool, you believe, good. Well, he's actually talking about Psalm 116. Psalm 116, go there real quick. It's verse 10. This is insane. Look at this verse. He says, I believed... And so I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. It wasn't, I believe and so I speak. I feel great. In this moment of saying, I am greatly afflicted, he's saying, I am believing. He's recognizing what he's going through and he's recognizing what it's for. If you read this, it's like messianic and it's talking about Jesus. And, but, you know, it was, it was David who wrote it and et cetera, et cetera. My point is this. Verse 12. This is like the same psalm. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Whoa, 
Like he's greatly afflicted, but he's looking and he's like, you raise the dead. I'm with you. You, What can I render to you for your benefits? I'm going to explode with praise. I want to, I want to do everything. I want to fulfill all my vows. I want to be in your presence. I want to declare your praise. I want to be in your house. I want to be in your courts because the grace that he's experiencing in his moment of affliction, that's the bread that my dad was talking about. The bread isn't the American dream guys. The bread isn't even the bread isn't even like your spiritual checklist, you know, that you like think this is what it is to be godly. That's not even the bread. The bread is to serve him, to know that you're a servant, to say yes, to receive his grace in that place of weakness. And then say, praise the Lord. That's the bread. Faith comes from the furnace of affliction. What does that have to do with worship? First, it implies that there is an essence of thanksgiving unto the glory of God. There's an aspect of worship that you and I cannot understand outside of sacrificial service to God and the accompanying privileged affliction. I'm going to say that again because I wrote it really complicated. Sorry. It implies all of this we've talked about. It implies that there is an essence of thanksgiving unto the glory of God. There is an aspect of worship that you and I cannot understand outside of sacrificial service to God and the accompanying privileged affliction. Beloved, if you are not serving Jesus in an active and intentional and sacrificial way, if your Christianity is limited to Sunday morning, feel-good entertainment, and 10-minute motivational devotionals that are completely self-centered, worship will be difficult and unnatural. It will make zero sense. Why do you have to praise a resurrected God when you're not experiencing death for his sake? It will be awkward to thank God for a grace that you have never put yourself in a place to receive. It will be awkward, unnatural, uncomfortable, and you won't be able to thank God for a grace that you have never put yourself in a place to receive. You have to be in need of his grace to receive it. Grace implies need. In fact, it demands it. As we receive the grace of God in weakness, brokenness, and difficulty for the sake of the gospel in the mission of God, we end up overwhelmed in thankfulness for his grace. And we end up amazed by his grace. This sounds like a worship song. Amazing grace. If you let grace carry you and you let grace work in your life, we will end up worshiping him. Second and in closing, it implies that worship is the best thing to do in the place of brokenness, doubt, confusion, pain, sacrifice, hurt, loss, suffering, affliction, hopelessness, or distress. At the moment that you really don't want to worship God is when you really need to stand on faith and do it. And I believe, I believe that it's by worship, especially our corporate expression here. Like when we stand in a room and all sing together and we're all worried about if we sound bad or if we smell okay, if we lift our arms. When we're in this corporate expression of worship, I, I believe that we actually defy the destruction of the fall and we enter by faith in the blood and in the cross and in the resurrection to the reign of God at that moment. When we're singing in the furnace of affliction, 
the furnace of affliction is defeated. The best thing you can do is to stand in that difficult place and believe God's promises of grace and respond in worship in thanksgiving unto glory. I will just close with a quick story. The other week I had the stomach flu really bad. Okay, I didn't get that because of the gospel or anything. I just got the stomach flu. Um, but, um, I, and I, I will spare you the details, but it was one of the worst, like, stateside stomach flus I've ever had. Um, I've had some really bad stomach things in other places. Um, but it was really awful. And Sunday morning, I had to leave worship. <laughs> and I was like... God, I haven't eaten in three days, and I might throw up the nothing that's in my stomach. And um, God was like, my grace is sufficient for you. Like, go sacrifice your service for me. Go. And worship that morning. I have no idea how it was for you guys, because I was lost in the presence, in the grace of God that morning. The morning when I really didn't feel like being here. I was lost in the presence. I was lost in his grace that he poured out in that moment. So we need to enter into worship in these places, and we need to do that by faith. We need to respond in thanksgiving for the grace that we will receive in the furnace of affliction. Um, Dad, if you want to come up and pray, that'd be cool. Lord, we thank you that you are uh, sufficient, really more than sufficient, um, and the the feast that you have for us is um, beyond anything we can think or ask. It is uh, super abundant. I thank you, Lord, for um, all that we're hearing tonight. We pray for your spirit to um, speak to each heart. We pray for your spirit to um, cause the words we've heard tonight, Lord, your word to uh, truly be grasped by faith and integrated into our lives. Um, Lord, we want to be a people that uh, truly live out the gospel, but uh, not for the benefits we get, although they are many, but that through our lives, Jesus would be honored and glorified. We love Jesus. We want Jesus to be praised. We want Jesus to be glorified. And um, because he is worthy. He is worthy because he has redeemed us by his blood. And he's made us kings and priests in his kingdom. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for all that you've done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. We want to praise you now, Lord, in a manner worthy of who you are. Amen.